Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Um, this is actually, I think, going to be pretty cool. The opportunity we have here, if I think, I'm thinking through, like, what obviously I planned for, for me to speak, so this is off the cuff right now, I'm thinking the fact that it is such an intimate group, I think, weighs a little bit on, on a bit of the message because there's a responsibility ele- element that I, I touch upon of, of w- what we carry as, as believers and as, as the body of, of Christ as a church and so forth. So I think there's, there's something to be said for us being so intimate today that we and those here will have that responsibility and that opportunity to kind of share what, we, what we're going to talk about here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm hospitality director here at Contrast, and today I get the privilege of talking to you about retaliation. Now, I'm not exactly sure if Trey's a psychic it was serendipitous or some divine intervention, but it just so happens that I, I've had an experience with retaliating fairly recently. I figured I'd tell you a little bit about it. Um, so some of you may know I live in Upper Arlington in a condo complex. It's a pretty small condo complex. There's like eight units total, so I have like seven neighbors. And inevitably, I don't know how this is possible, even though I only have seven neighbors, I have that one crazy neighbor. You know what I'm talking about, like that one that kind of just makes everyone else's life a little tense, if you will. And so that neighbor for me, her name is Karen. Uh, <laughs> her name's actually not Karen, but Karen's actually a pretty good way of uh, describing her. Uh, a little context about my crazy neighbor Karen, so we will call her Karen for today's purposes. Uh, she's, she's, a bit, she's a bit much. Uh, she tends to boss around all the other neighbors. Um, she claims to be the condo association president. She's not. She, in fact, didn't pay her dues for a really long time, was in a legal situation. Uh, she speaks incredibly condescendingly down towards people. Like, she's a Karen, right? Karen's actually probably a pretty good way to describe her. Um, and a couple weeks ago, I was you know, coming back from the gym, and she came out as I was you know, walking out of my car to come and yell at me because I hid her flowers. And to give you a little context, let's, let's see what these flowers are all about. So you can kind of get an idea. I'm driving around, and there's some flowers there. And, um, you know, let's, actually, let's zoom in a little bit, can we? Yeah. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but those flowers are hanging out a bit, aren't they? Like, they're, they're hanging out a little bit there. And the thing is, I wasn't even trying to hit them. I was just driving around the little curve and whatever. So I was, it was, it's truly unintentional that I actually hit her flowers there. Um, but nonetheless, she came out, she yelled at me, uh, and, and knowing that she's crazy Karen, I'm like, okay, just de-escalate, 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 don't make any sudden movements kind of thing. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I, I de-escalated, I'm really sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll try to drive further around the curve next time I go around, and you know, it seemed like it worked. So we parted ways, and no big blow up, and, 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 and moved, moved on, supposedly. Um, but I couldn't, couldn't help but felt a little wronged. I was, you know, afterwards, that later that day, the next day, I was like, ah, it was under my skin. And I wanted, I wanted to re- retaliate, and I did. Well, I, I got my revenge. And I'd love to show you this next picture would be like this destroyed flower pot and everything, but 
That's not what I did. Uh, in fact, uh, what I did was this. I texted, and you probably can't actually read it, but it's like a screenshot. I actually I texted the condo association board to more or less tattletale on her. And that's how I got my revenge on her, is I, I, I texted them, tattletailed on her. Uh, she didn't know that I tattletailed her, but, you know, I was... I was getting my, my, I retaliated and got my revenge. So perhaps it's, it's fitting that today I have to talk about retaliation, uh, given, given my more recent story here. Um, and I would say, you know what, you probably haven't, hopefully you haven't had an experience with a Karen recently, but if you were to think and reflect, I imagine you could probably think of a couple instances here and there in the last couple of months where you did something where you retaliated or got revenge or got even yourself. It's, it's, I feel like it happens in our everyday lives pretty, pretty easily. Um, I mean, even driving, if you think about it, there's probably times in which you're retaliating and not really fully realizing it. Like for example, tell me if this has ever happened to you. Uh, you know, you're in the left lane, you're on the highway, you're driving, going pretty well, and you look in your rear view mirror and you, you see this car just zooming up behind you, right? They're coming in hot. And you're like, oh, shoot, I need to get over. But there's a car on your right, so obviously you, you can't get over. So I'll, I'll just pass this car, and then I'll get over. Uh, and then they can get by me. And so you, you speed up. You can tell the person's, like, right on your tail now. Uh, and, and you're like, okay, I'm, just, I'm going fast. Like, I'll get over. I'll get over. And so you finally pass the car, and you're about to get over. Um, before you know it, they start accelerating. They cut over to the right to cut you over. And then they're coming up your, your right side at this point. You're like, oh, heck no. They ain't going to be passing me kind of thing. So now you're accelerating. And the next thing you know... You're in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> you're glaring at them. They're glaring at you. Blood pressures are up. It's a scene from The Fast and the Furious. And you're like, even before you know it, you know, it blows out of context. And eventually, obviously, it calms down. But that's, that's kind of a form of retaliation, a bit of a revenge or getting even, not feeling wronged in some sense. Uh, that happens, uh, that I think, in ways and in other ways that we, we don't realize. And if I had to guess, if cars and highways, and road rage existed when Jesus was alive, he'd probably use that as one of the four illustrations that he uses in Matthew 5, 38 through 42, when he's talking about retaliation. Uh, he, it, he, those things didn't exist at the time, so he's not going to use those as, as his examples, but that's what we're going to focus on today, are those four verses, uh, five, four illustrations, five verses in, in Matthew uh, 5, 48, or 38 through 42. Uh, before we get there, though, I do want to make sure that we review a bit of, of where we've been already. And so, as you all know, um, we're in the, the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the bigger ideas that I hope to talk about when it comes to uh, Matthew 5, 38 through 42, that is this understanding that Jesus today is going to tell us that what we think of retaliation and how we're supposed to re- retaliate in this worldly view is not actually how he's defining retaliation. He redefines retaliation for us in these next four illustrations. And so this big idea that he has is that, sorry, is that me? Am I moving too much? This big idea that he has is Jesus' retaliation is, is far different than the way we, the society and the world, define it. In fact, for Jesus, retaliation is filled with a ridiculous amount of grace and love. And the way that he's going to do this is we're going to go through these four examples, and we'll break down each of the four illustrations. I'll, uh, hopefully, everyone will get a better understanding of what each of those means at the time when, when he was preaching 
to, to his followers at the time, the disciples and, and all those there uh, with him at the Sermon on the Mount. But then also try to bring it to real life today. Make those connections. Like, what does that even look like today? And that's what we'll go through in the next 20 or so minutes. Um, just so we know where we've been, I know we have a couple guests in, in, with us today. So we're in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount right now. We've been going through the different uh, laws of the time. So a couple weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, Adam went through the first one, which was around anger and murder. And then Trey took us through adultery, and then he also took us through divorce. And then last week, Justin went through the oaths, and today we'll do retaliation. Um, so let's, let's jump in. Uh, Matthew 5.38 starts off with, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so here, Jesus is referencing a uh, pretty common understanding at the time. It was the Harabi Code, uh, which was the law of the land. And at the time, it was pretty common to exercise uh, proportionate retribution. And they're actually referencing three points in the Old Testament here. They're referencing Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, where there's multiple references to this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, briefly, we'll go through each of them. So in Exodus, um, in chapter 21 of Exodus, there, that part of the, the I mean, was, was that the second book of the Old Testament, essentially, uh, they're going through the, what happens if someone would get personally injured back, you know, and what, what is the response to it, the retribution to it? Essentially, so there is the first reference in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in verse 24, where we see eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Um, and then the next reference in Leviticus, very similarly, they're going through this concept of, hey, you know, what happens if something bad were to happen to someone else? How do you respond to it? Uh, and and it actually, it starts in 19 there, and I'll just read it. Um, the, the law that they're, they're referencing is, if a man inflicts an injury on his fellow citizen, just as he has done it, must be done to him. And then here in 20, they give examples, fraction for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he inflicts an injury on another person, the same injury must be inflicted on him. Okay, one for one kind of concept. Uh, and then the third reference uh, that Jesus is really referring to that, again, all of the people listening would be familiar with because they're so familiar with the law of the land at the time, is in Deuteronomy. Uh, you can see it on the screen. Very similarly, and that's in chapter 19, verse 21. They more or less all say the same thing, right? And what they're saying is this concept around the retribution must, must fit essentially the crime and going back and forth. Um, what's interesting is they were implementing this fairly regularly in society. So folks would have been really familiar with, oh yeah, I know what that law is. I understand it. And they're like, okay, yeah, I get it. He's going to tell us like, you know, that's what we're supposed to be doing and whatnot. Now, one clarification though is like, even though at one point they probably were doing eye, an actual eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, uh, eventually they, they changed it to, to not be the actual implementation of that concept. It could have been through fines or compensation at that point. So there would have been other ways in which they did the retribution back. Uh, but the concept overall is that the punishment must fit the crime kind of idea. So Jesus introduces this to, the, to those listening, saying, like, hey, you're familiar with this law. And they're like, okay, yeah. And then just like he's done with all the other laws that we've gone through the past few weeks, he's essentially going to flip 
flip the conversation, change how they perceive what exactly, in this case, retaliation is really meant to be. And that's um, the next four illustrations we're going to go through. So he's going to essentially redefine what retaliation should be in our, in our minds and our hearts. Uh, let's, let's go into the first of those illustrations. Uh, so in verse 39... There we go, yeah, Matthew 5, 39. Uh, but I say to you, do not resist the evildoer, but whomever strikes you on the right cheek, turn, turn the other to him as well. Now, in this first illustration that Jesus gives us, uh, he's trying to show um, how he defines retaliation, as opposed to how the people at the time really defined retaliation with that law that we were just talking about. And really, I would argue how we probably holistically define retaliation. Um, so a little context on this idea of this, of this slapping. I don't know how many folks get slapped regularly nowadays. Um, but let's, let's kind of go through how, exactly how this works. So the reference to the right cheek is actually kind of important here. So, you know, he says, you know, if, if you get struck on the right cheek. So he referenced that first and then turned the other. Now, if you think about it... Uh, I wasn't sure if the spirit would move me to ask for a volunteer to come up for this or not, but probably not the best of ideas to slap someone on stage. Uh, but if you think about it, if I were to get slapped on this right cheek, uh, and knowing that most people are, are right-hand dominant, I imagine a lot of folks here are, are right-hand dominant, if they were to use their right hand to slap my right cheek, the way they would have to actually do that is by backhanding, right? Because my cheek would be here, and if I were to be slapped, they'd have to backhand me in order to slap using their dominant hand. So the, the reason that's important in, in this instance is because by slapping the person, they're actually not particularly trying to do a ton of physical harm. Right? I don't know of anyone who's died from a slapping incident. I could be wrong, but my guess is that if you've been slapped, uh, you probably, it wasn't a life-threatening kind of thing. So by doing that slapping, and what they're referencing here is actually not physical harm, but it's more disrespect. They're disrespecting you by doing the slap. And so here, his reference that he's going into is like, hey, if you've been disrespected, if you've been slapped on the right cheek, you should turn the other cheek. All right? And so then, he's, he's going through this idea of like, you, if you've been disrespected, you should be okay with it continuing. Uh, and which is interesting. So, like, well, why would he say that, right? Um, at a high level, what he's trying to say is that you're okay turning that other cheek because nothing you can do, if you're the person getting slapped, you're saying back to the other person, nothing you can do will affect my security or identity because I have everything I need in Jesus. Now, I, I would say, how many of you have been slapped in the last six months? I imagine none of you will raise your hand. So what would that look like in today's world? Right? How, how are we getting slapped on the right cheek? How are we being disrespected? And I think there's probably instances where it's like a tit-for-tat kind of instance. Let's say at work, where you're in like a debate over a topic, and you think it should go this way, but another colleague's doing it. It could be maybe with a significant other or a friend or a sibling, whatever it might be, and you're just kind of going... And, and you feel disrespected, and essentially you've been slapped on the right cheek in this conversation, this debate, this dialogue, whatever it might be. And you're just trying to figure out, how do I just kind of get even? 
I see, I imagine it happens a lot in sibling and family set, settings and all that kind of stuff, probably at work until, as well, depending on how contentious your work settings are. And the re- only reason you're, you're, you're essentially jabbing back is because you felt disrespected. Not then the argument can go left, right, otherwise, but there's a level of insecurity that you don't have, knowing that Jesus is what's keeping you secure, that you're giving into by retaliating back. Essentially, instead of turning your other cheek to let them continue, because it doesn't matter if you win or lose the argument because your security is with Jesus, you're essentially saying, I'm insecure, and then I, you're slapping back. And so Jesus, in this, this example, this illustration, says, like, no, 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 no. Let's think through that. If your security is with me, it won't matter if you get slapped on the right cheek. It's not, gonna, it's not life-threatening. It's truly a disrespect concept. And are you secure enough with me to be able to handle and be unfazed by those situations? Moving into the next verse, so verse 40, he goes on to say, and if, seven, if, excuse me, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat as well. In the second illustration that Jesus brings into the conversation, he's referencing an example that would have been well known in lawsuits at the time. It was common at the time that if you lost a lawsuit, the way that you have to pay is through a possession. And so the idea of getting sued and then losing your tunic, in this case, uh, would, have, would have been fairly well understood. Uh, but then Jesus here calls us to say, don't just give them what you owe them, your tunic, but also give them your coat. And that's fairly significant as well. I mean, all of us, we have plenty of coats. I'm sure you have a closet full of coats, in fact. Uh, but at the time, that outer garment was far more valuable than what we would see it as today. At the time, you probably only had one outer garment. It was probably the most expensive garment you actually have. And it not only doubled as a coat, it was your, your, your blanket at night to keep warm and so forth. So it was an incredibly valuable thing. And Jesus is saying, if you've lost your lawsuit and someone says you had to pay this tunic, he's saying give them that, but then also give them every, your, your, essentially your security, your blanket, your everything. He's saying go above and, and, and do that um, in that situation. And on top of it, he's referencing a lawsuit. So I don't know how many of you get f- sued by friends, but it's probably not going to happen. If they're your friend, they're not going to sue you, right? So that means this is an enemy on top of that. Someone who is your, your foe, your enemy, sued you. You had to give your tunic, and Jesus was like, if you give your tunic, also give your coat on top of it. A ridiculous concept, in, in, to some sense, that someone would go that beyond. Um, obviously, that's not something we see a lot of today, uh, that example. And so, again, I'm going to try to tie it to what, what would be a real-life example of what that would potentially look like here in, in, in 2021. Um, and here's what I thought of. Uh, I don't know, hopefully not many of you have been in a fender bender before, but let's say you've gotten in a fender bender. I'm sure you've seen them, you know, driving every so often. And... The, you got in the fender bender, the other person, uh, the other driver admits that, hey, that was my fault, just let me know, here's my information, we'll, we'll square it away, and whatnot. And so you get the bill, and let's say the bill's $1,000 that you owe for the repairs for this fender bender, so forth, and you're, you're texting that other person, that other driver, because you have their information, you say, hey, it's $1,000, and before you know it, they Venmo you $2,000. Whoa. Not only did they just pay the tunic, they paid you, but they went above and gave you the coat as well. Just like the amount of grace and love one would feel if that were to happen to them. It's like, where did this come from? 
and so forth. It's just like the idea of retaliating in a sense that is an overabundance of love and grace in that world, which we, we see so rarely, I think would just shock even us as believers. Just think of those who are non-believers, that would, that would even occur. And so like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a way if someone were to sue you and you had to give them their tunic, how you could also then give your coat as well. Now on to the third illustration that, that Jesus brings uh, to the conversation, and, and that's in verse 41. And there it says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, this one was actually really cool for me to learn uh, a lot more about and so forth. So this illustration here was specific to grievances that the Jews were subjected to under the Romans at the time. And so at the time, Roman soldiers uh, had the ability, they were legally permitted, to essentially enlist forced labor amongst the general population, uh, in this case the Jews mainly, uh, to, to do wh- whatever it is. In this case, it's, it's carrying their, it's actually carrying their, the soldier's equipment. Uh, and, and the reference there to go one mile, that was like the minimum they were supposed to do. That was like the minimum understanding, like what you had to do. And so what Jesus is calling them to do is like, hey, not only you know, give in and carry the equipment for the one mile, sign up for a double stint. Go twice as far as what the expectation was. And again, this is not a friend. This is a foe. This is an enemy. <laughs> that, that, that's someone that they do not like because they don't like the law and they don't like being under Roman law or the Roman Empire at this time. And he's just saying the way you retaliate, the way you respond, is with an abundance of grace and love. I, obviously today we don't have to carry soldiers' equipment. So again, how do we, how do we make context of this in today's society? How does this look? Uh, and what I, I remember hearing, um, I think it was uh, what Nick and, and David moving in together, they had to get a washer-dryer or something along those lines. I was like, oh, I wonder if, let's put this fake scenario together, because I don't think this actually happened to him. But let's say you were perusing Facebook Marketplace. I imagine some of you do that on occasion. My sister, I know, does every so often. Uh, and you find this great washer and dryer. And you're like, oh, yes, that's it. Awesome price. Let's go get it. Deal is, you have to pick it up today. And so all of your friends that have trucks, all of your family that have trucks, all your coworkers, all these people... They, they, they aren't available, right? It's middle of the day and a Thursday, whatever it might be. And so what that means is then you got to contact that, that friend of a friend of a friend who's really not a friend that you're not exactly the biggest fan of. And you're like, all right, they're the only person I know that has a truck. And so your expectation is like, hey, hopefully they'll just leave the keys on the, on, the, on the dash. I'll just drive up, pick it up, drop it off with a full tank and whatnot. But instead what happens is this friend of a friend of a friend who's really not a friend, uh, ends up driving the truck over to you. They have a dolly, they have blankets, they have straps, and they enlisted two buddies of theirs to come and help you move. And they actually go with you to go pick up the washing dryer and help you bring it home and install it. Again, how would you feel if you were the recipient of that abundance of love and grace and that kind of uh, response so I guess by now you're probably hearing like, hey, the theme I'm hearing is abundance of love and grace. And really I think what Jesus is, and he kind of does this all throughout, is like he's saying with, with this example, it's like I'm not telling you not to retaliate, right? I'm not telling you you can't re- retaliate. Like, in fact, I am telling you to retaliate, to respond, but in a much different way than what you typically would do. And so then in his last example, which would be verse 42, 
He goes and he says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. Here in this final illustration, Jesus provides us, it's actually something that you see in everyday life even today. This is the one where I was like, oh, I don't have to stretch and like try to make it a 21st century example. Essentially, it's a stranger asking for money, right? It's a beggar on the street. And Jesus simply states, do not reject this person. However, I know I'm guilty of this. Every time that I come across this situation, whether I'm pulling off the highway or walking downtown, someone asks me for money, or you can see, I mean, you can see them on the sidewalk coming when you're walking down the street or pulling off the highway. It's like, what do I do? And maybe you do this too. I, well, I, I avert my eyes. I pretend they're not there. Like, I'm like, I'm like they're invisible. I don't even recognize them as a human. In fact, I bet you I would probably go help a stray dog on the street before I were to help a homeless person on the street. Not so proud of that thought. But yeah, that's usually how I respond to this. But what Jesus is challenging us to do is to understand that that's not how we're supposed to act. And it's because nothing we own is actually ours. It's God's. All right? And so... If God is generous with all his children, how dare we hoard our money or food or whatever it is to keep for ourselves and not be generous enough to share, lend, and give to our brothers and sisters in Christ? I actually saw this firsthand. It's wild. Going through this exercise and, and having to write this all up, and really, it's wild how, 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 how interestingly God were giving me examples. Some of these are real-life examples. So I actually thought, saw this firsthand when I was getting dinner with my friend Adam from the gym. Um, and so Adam, uh, we, we actually, his nickname is Padre because he's a Catholic priest. Father, get it, Padre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's a Catholic priest, um, and he's actually pretty instrumental in my personal story to Christ, uh, which I'll have to share another time. Uh, but we were, we were downtown um, at the cathedral. I'd parked there, so we were like right by the state house, and we were walking to the arena district to go to Ted's Montana Grill uh, for dinner. And a homeless man stops us along the way. He says, hey, can I, can I have $7 uh, to get into the YMCA so I, so I can take a shower? All right. uh, and Padre pulls out his wallet, pulls out two fives, hands it to the man, and we move on our way. All right. And I go, as we keep walking to dinner and we're out of ear range of, of, of the homeless man, I go, Padre, how do you decide who to give to and who not to give to? Thinking there's some magical way that you're supposed to do this. And his response was this. He says, if I can give, if I can, I give to all of them. It's not my job to determine who I should or shouldn't help. If God is putting them in my life at that moment and I'm able to help that person with his, God's, money, I will. And I'd never thought of it that way. And so the idea that Jesus calls out of to give to one who asks and not to reject anyone who wants to borrow from you, comes into play there. If that's the model we're supposed to be living out, well, my gosh, Padre did a really great job of that. And I, I dare say he actually did a really good job of going two miles, too, since he gave him $10, not seven. In that sense, too. It, while we think through all this, we've gone through the four different illustrations that, that Jesus puts in front of us as it relates to retaliation and how he wants to, us to redefine it and how he's redefining it for us. Uh, it's interesting for me to think, because I think in today's society, re- 
these verses and everything are great, and even making them real-life examples and, and from what we could experience in regular life today is great, but I, I still think it's incredibly unnatural and hard for us to do these things. It's not particularly easy to think this way. But it, it would be remiss of me not to say that, well, that's why Jesus was sent to earth to show us what we're supposed to live up to be like, what we're aspiring to be like. Even contrast, our mission it demonstrates it as well, right? We're to help people become or be with Jesus, become like him, and live out his mission together. Like, this is something we're aspiring to do. And I believe that we are challenged and should be constantly challenging ourselves to understand that that's a pretty big responsibility, and yet it's also a tremendous opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to flip the script on what retaliation by society standards is defined and redefine it, just as Jesus does in these verses. And then we have the opportunity to show what God's love truly looks like to those all around us. Uh, and, and in an amazing way that God works, I was trying to figure out how do I close this, this teaching with a real, real life example, one in my life. Sure enough, God does his thing. He puts one right in front of me. So you might recall my, my crazy neighbor Karen and my little flat flower fiasco. Well, as I'm typing up, literally, I'm at, I'm at my computer, I'm typing up my rough draft of this, and it, it, I look out my back window to the carport where, where my computer is at home, and so I see my car, and I'm typing, I'm like, oh, I really, I really could use a really good example here. Wait, what can I think of? And I see Karen's car, I go, ah, dang. I might have said something quite, a little bit more harsh than that, but, you know, we're in church. So, ah, oh, man, I, uh, I, yep, that's what I got to do. And so, the real-life example of how you can live out Jesus' definition or redefinition of retaliation would look like this. That is, those are, rather, flowers that I bought Karen after I finished writing up the rough draft. I went to Straters in Grandview and put them outside her door with a note to apologize for unintentionally hitting her flowers earlier that week. And though it took me a hot second, I did eventually listen to God. And instead of just retaliating by texting the condo association and tattletailing on her, I took a lesson out of Jesus' book and I, I retaliated with an abundance of love and grace. And what's really cool is a couple days later, Karen comes, knocks on my door, and she's just over the moon, right? She's so excited about these flowers. She's like, she, she can't put in words how happy it's made her, and apparently orange is her favorite color. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, God, you're showing off now. All right. <laughs> just kidding, of course. But, like, but what's really cool about that is now she, she's placed those flowers as the centerpiece of her little flower brigade, if you will. And those flowers have bloomed and they have blossomed, and they are vibrant, and they are thriving and flourishing. And I imagine if we were to all respond as Jesus is, is, is challenging us to do in situations of retaliation with an abundance of love and grace, our community will thrive and flourish and bloom and so forth. So uh, I'm going to call up the band uh, as we transition into reflection time. Uh, which, for those who haven't done this with us before, this is a time for, for you to process and to pray and to think and reflect about, about any of the things we talked about today or the, the songs we sung and however you know, connected or resonated with you. 
Uh, if you're a follower of Christ, feel free to uh, also do the, take the Lord's Supper during that time. We have the cup and the bread uh, in the back for you. Uh, we do this every week to, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins and, and the need for him in our lives. And lastly, um, we have some folks in the back who, who can pray with you as well, if you'd like to do that. So in closing, I'd encourage everyone to think during this reflection time about, about instances in your past where you were in a situation where you retaliated, probably in the manner that society and the world tells us to retaliate, which may not be exactly the way you should be retaliating. I'd, I'd encourage you to think how could that situation have gone? How would that situation have been different if, if you had rather retaliated as Jesus instructs us to? Um, and then I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you in the final thought to end with thinking about what happens the next time you're in that situation where you're, you're going to retaliate. Um, will you retaliate as society tells us we should, get revenge, get even? Or will you retaliate as Jesus has redefined for us with an abundance of love, abundance of grace and if you do how will the world be because you do it that way thank you for listening to the contrast church podcast to learn more about us and how you can be a part of it visit contrast.church